Hello and welcome to the first episode of Blackboard Joy Podcast for 2023 with me, Ainsley. I hope everyone had a great Christmas, a fantastic, smashing New Year. I hope you made our New Year's resolutions and are grinding your way towards them. As for me, I'm very excited to be joined this week by Jermaine Jackman. He's a singer, recording artist, published author, he's a musical consultant, activist, and of course, the winner of BBC The Voice, or at least was BBC The Voice. Welcome to Blackboard Joy Podcast, Jermaine. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Ainsley. Thank you so much for having me. No problem at all. I am so thrilled that you're uh, you're a guest on my podcast. I remember, I saw when years ago, I had the vivid memory of you singing A House Is Not A Home on The Voice. <laughs> yeah. If I remember correctly, I think you have, if, the way the show goes, you have like blind auditions, mm-hmm. you have a battle round, and then you have like something else before like the finals, is that correct? Yeah, so you have the knockouts, it's almost like the World Cup. Um, so you then have the knockouts, and then the quarterfinals, semifinals, and then the finals. Right, yeah. It was, it's a lot of, but we pre-record the blind auditions to the knockouts. That's pre-recorded. So we yeah. we, we more or less know the outcome a year before it's aired. Right. And, okay, so let me give you the rundown. This is this is the secret of filming. the. Of yeah. The so they'll film the blind auditions. They'll film the blind auditions, the battles, and the knockouts from September to December. Mm -hmm. That's then aired on BBC One every Saturday night from January until March. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of March, we then you then go on to the live shows, which is the quarterfinals, semifinals, and then the finals. Right, I see. Um, and those are, are live, live. Yeah. So from your year, like I said, like I think you actually might be the only other contestant that I remember from um from the from the voice on me that you're on. So many I remember. Tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think yeah, that would that you might be the only person, the first and only person that like I've ever got on the phone and voted for. Oh um that. Yeah, for for like a reality competition show. But there were other there were others that I thought were talented, but like none that could sing none could sing the way that you could. Well, thank you so much. You know, and and what's interesting is that in my generation, um, I say my generation, how old are we? How old are you? So I'm 31. Oh, okay. So we are the same. Yeah, we're, we're more or less the same generation. There, yeah, there are there are periods in time where especially the black community in Britain gets out and votes because you know we we, we rarely ever really vote on competition yeah. TV competitions but when we see someone that we can really connect with the community comes out and we vote and that moment was for Lamar I've heard from so many mm-hmm. artists that they came out and they voted for Lamar that yeah. was for Leona Lewis I heard so many times aunties say that they voted for Leona Lewis that moment was for Alexandra Burke yeah, so many times that they voted for Alexander Burke, and um, I've heard so many times that people voted for me. They first time voters, God, I sound like a prime minister. First time <laughs> voters, people who've never voted before picked up the phone, yeah. and, and I'm forever grateful for all of those people who supported um, me because it made me the first black man to win any singing competition this country, or any televised singing competition this country's ever had. Yeah, it's amazing, and I just, yeah, I think. 
I'm um, I'm quite big into music. So I used to play saxophone for like 12 years. I studied music at university. Um, I don't do it so much anymore. But so like, I think as person of your vocal range, I don't, you don't always hear, you don't really see so much. So, I mean, I'm not a good singer, but if I, I sung, I'd imagine my range would be similar to yours. So yeah. it was like, when I heard you, it's like, this is how it should be done. Basically, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <you should> be. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, I don't, I honestly, I don't know where it comes from. Um, um, Sir Tom Jones would always say, like, I sound like a baritone when mm -hmm. I'm down there, but like a really high top tenor mm -hmm. um, up there. And I, I honestly, I don't know. I, I have no idea how I got this range, where it's come from. I've just been blessed. And I'm yeah. so grateful that I've been able to use my voice to, to to bless those who hear me and to also bring about change yeah yeah so uh before we go any further what i usually like to do with the podcast is ask uh, my guests like um what is it that makes you feel joyful so i'll ask you now singing uh yeah can i can i say multiple things absolutely yeah absolutely what makes me joyful and what brings me joy is singing and being around my friends um, and going out to parties um, I'm a socialite so I love parties I love going mm -hmm. out um, and just experiencing new experiences meeting new people um, and going out doesn't necessarily mean partying and getting drunk it also means going to the theatre um, mm -hmm. to a, a game centre um, or going go, indoor go-karting in South London or or throwing axes in mm -hmm. Croydon or or doing um, the interactive football game in Greenwich. It, it, it gives me so many different things. So yeah, yeah. So the, yeah. those things that bring me joy. Excellent. So um, I guess like, we were just talking about your music. So um, you obviously won The Voice. Mm -hmm. I think that was 2014 or 15? 2014, yeah. So like um, you, you've had some plans since then. Like what have you, what have you managed to do with your, like, with your singing? So yeah, the journey started in 2014. Um, I won. I was able to release an album in 2015 and 2016, uh, which set me on a course for singing and working with so many different people, producers, songwriters, artists around the world that I never thought I would ever be able to work with. I've been able to travel around the world, perform in front of presidents and prime ministers communities from all different walks of life um mm -hmm. but also opened the door for me politically um yeah. i've been able to use the platform to speak about the injustices and inequalities that so many face i've been able to talk about climate justice i've been able to to um sit around particular tables that i may not have been afforded to but also by sitting around those tables i've been able to bring the voices of so many others with me to try and bring about change um, and yeah. the reason why I talk about politics and music so interchangeably is because they are one and the same I remember writing my dissertation at university um, that's after I won the voice by the way so my yeah. mom was like who's good in you it's all good and well you going around the world singing but you need an education yeah so and I wrote my dissertation on something called the black British renaissance Mm -hmm. and I, I I don't know if it's I have never heard the term but I wanted to I said I coined the term mm -hmm. um, and I um I said that it's it's an era where black creativity black music black arts has been has stepped into the political realm mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. because being black is political anyway. In, in mm-hmm. when we live in a white supremacist society, being black is political. So therefore, black music and our, and what we create is political content. Mm-hmm. So and how that's now forced things like Theresa May having to respond to Stormzy when he made his his performance on the Brits stage and. Uh, um, when we had the 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 Grenfell Tower and songs that came out of that, and music has always been a form of black expression. When we talk about black joy, when we talk about black um, um, resistance, when we talk about um, black struggle, music has always been music and art has always been central to that. And I've always I've drawn on experiences and and stories uh, of history, like the the jazz ambassadors during um, the Cold War or the Harlem Renaissance era post-civil um, war in America. So there's tons of examples, all the Soweto choirs after, um, during the apartheid in South Africa, there's so many examples of, of Black struggle, Black expression um, forming in Black music and, and it be also being very political. So I use music and politics um, interchangeably, but that's why I'm I'm so political and I'm so musical at the same time. Sorry, yeah. I don't know the question, but that's my journey so far. Um, yeah been one of it's been one that's been political it's been one that's been very musical and and when I really look back at my 28 years of living um I'm really proud and blessed to have experienced what I've experienced and to bring about the change that I've been able to bring yeah mm-hmm. and I think like uh one of the big reasons why I wanted uh wanted to come on the podcast is for you to talk about more about your political activism yeah so um like what is it that you're up to now so since the murder of George Floyd, um, which has been almost this tipping point, you know, I think each, I go back to this this idea that each generation has its moment, has its tipping point. I think that the last tipping point was in 2011 when we saw the uprisings around the the country. Um, and, and, and again, we, we saw that with George Floyd and it was a, it was a wake up call for a lot of for white people around the world instead of um, black and global majority communities or it, it was a wake-up call for white people across the world to say well what the hell are you doing mm-hmm. because and i think the theme out of george floyd's um murder what and i i, I don't like to materialize his murder like that mm-hmm. um but one of the themes that came out of that was this idea that it's no longer enough to not be racist you have to be an anti-racist Mm-hmm. And I think I, after the, his murder, I heard the term anti-racist so many times from white people, more than mm-hmm. I can, more than I can count. Um, and then you saw the black squares, you saw all, all the performative stuff after that. But what I'm trying to say is that after his murder, and during the pandemic, I had noticed, alongside a number of other individuals, the impact. Um, Black-led charities and voluntary organizations had faced. So, for example, Sister Space had seen the use of their services shoot through the roof. We've seen Black-led groups who struggle to get funding anyway, um, really, really struggle with the, the effects of lockdown and the pandemic. Then you had the whole world talking about racism as though it had just started out and it has, it's only just been discovered. Um, so myself with a few others, we came together to create a foundation called the Bayabab Foundation, mm-hmm. which will fund uh, Black-led voluntary sector organizations around the world, around the country, sorry. And so it's a 
it's a racial justice fund and we generated around 12 to 18 million pounds um, and we launched it in September last year um, and we will be distributing those funds February next month um, to to those who have applied and that's what I've been working on in the last two years two and a half years and because I saw everyone just calling for change I saw everyone protesting unfortunately I couldn't protest because I lived with somebody um, high risk and we were very much still in the pandemic at that time mm-hmm. um, so I couldn't protest but you know everyone knows that I stand in solidarity with those who protest and demonstrate and fight against racism mm-hmm. I um I wanted to be the call for change. I wanted to to ensure that those calls for change were actually being followed up with action. I wanted to ensure that there was action following those protests and those demonstrations. I didn't want anything to fall on deaf ears. So it was great that the Bayabab Foundation was created and was distributing um, and is now distributing funds to Black-led, global majority organizations in the country. We are unapologetic in saying that we are pro-Black. Yeah. And of our funds will go 70% to Black, which means African and Caribbean heritage organizations, yeah. and 30% to um, other global majority-led organizations and people around the country, with most of the funds going outside of London, because we understand the 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 London-centricism of yeah. funding. Um, it's some London-centricism? I don't even know that's yeah. a word. <laughs> Very much create the term now, because people yeah. get um. Uh, so that's what I've been working on for the last two years. And I've always, in a sense, slipping into political consultancy, supporting politicians, racial justice organizations, political organizations, shaping policy. Um, and that's what I've been doing for the last maybe five, six, seven years. Yeah. Since uh, that's a lie, maybe five years um, coming out of uni um, and doing that. Um, I don't know how I slipped into it. I've been chair of commissions which looks at the lived experiences of some of the most poorest of children in our country and in London and form and formulating policies in order to tackle that. I did that in Islington and Hackney. I then went on training um, uh, Manchester City Council, Lead City Council on my workings because they were so impressed with what I did. Um, and then I slipped into political consultancy that way. Uh, mm. And I've not looked back since. That's the political side musically been doing backing vocals uh, for singers like Justin Timberlake at the Brit Awards and others. I've uh, been writing songs. I've got my own project coming out in a couple of weeks' time, so please keep out, keep a lookout for that um, um, just before spring, I hope. Um, and I, I am absolutely loving it, and I'm always performing. Um, some of your listeners would have seen me performed at many different places last year and the year before that, and I'm really forward to um, my performances this this coming year as well yeah so uh like when i was doing some background like um and here there are literally so many things that you do and there's so many things that you're a chair was i'd had you saw i saw the bell about foundation as well mm-hmm. i saw you were chair of the hackney young future commission yeah. um chair of the 1987 caucus which we can get more into in in, in yeah, a bit yeah. you were a published author you're also a recording mm-hmm. artist a singer mm-hmm. and uh, and writer so i'm i was just astounded i was like i was like, I was like what does just like a normal day look like to look like to you that's why i look that's why everyone thinks um my older brothers are my younger brothers because i actually look like i'm turning 38 rather than 28 um <laughs> that's, so... that's not true 
That's I'm, I'm, no, I've just put a really good filter on. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see the wrinkles. Um, <laughs> but the reality is, is this, that I, I never could put myself into a box. Mm. I never, as a child growing up, I, ne- I was never interested in one thing. Um, yeah. And I don't feel like I was ever a master of one of many things either. I just had so many different loves and so many different hobbies and so many different passions. But at the core of all of it was wanting to improve people's lives. Mm-hmm. So we be wanting to improve people's lives through music, wanting to mm-hmm. improve people's lives through politics. And you see that in a, in, you see that take shape through the children's book that I wrote last mm-hmm. year, a year and a half ago which was about Windrush and it was also based on um, the the journey of my grandmother Um, and to still get calls and emails today from schools around the country, people around the world saying, we love your story. Could you come visit our school to do a workshop? I've got schools from Norwich and and some of the whitest parts of, of of our country contacted me saying, we loved your story. Um, and I've done a Zoom call with that same school. And I said, yeah, she's passed away. And you see these children burst out in tears because they were so invested in this story. And you know, children and, and uh, animation or cartoons or stories, they become very invested and very personalized, uh, have a personalized relationship with the person that, and with the story that they're reading. So I was really Im- impressed by the impact that that story made. Um, and for those um, who don't know o- o- about it, um, I wrote a book called Diary of a Windrush Kid obviously inspired by Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Um, so please do go out and check that um, that story out. Um, but again, again, um, me wanting to improve people's lives, it came in the in form of me chairing those commissions and also the 1987 caucus, which is a, a safe space for young black men, um, more or less black men in the Labour Party movement. Um, and now where all of this stemmed from, I, I Perhaps it's because I grew up in Hackney at a time where I saw a lot of struggle, a lot of injustice, um, a lot of inequalities, and I wanted to do something about it. I grew up seeing, I grew up at a time of the coalition and government of 2010. I remember I was in secondary school when they won that election. And I can't really remember a Labour government before that. Um, Obviously, we we know Gordon Brown and Tony Blair, but, um, and I just saw the impact that they made, the negative impact, I might add, that they made on our communities in terms of closing down youth clubs, cuts to education, cuts to youth services, um, the trebling of tuition fees, the slashing of EMA, the rolling back on legislation and regulations that help protect us, Um, The attack on our trade union movements, uh, the stagnation in pay, all of that, all of that, the rising of bills, the things that we're seeing today are are synonymous to a conservative government. Like if you go back to the Thatcher years, we saw strikes, Mm -hmm. we saw the freezing of public sector pay. It's nothing. This is nothing new. So everyone's like, oh, my goodness, why can't this is nothing new. This is what you get with a conservative government. And I yeah. guess I'm speaking from a place of wanting that to change, because when you see the homeless people sleeping on the floor, um, but we're one of the richest and wealthiest countries in the world, 
when you see people really struggling, like I'll never forget, I was in Brixton around midnight um, trying to get home. And this man had, I overheard this man asking for money. He said, look, um, I don't normally ask for money, but I just need enough just to get onto the bus. I don't even have my own, so I'm hoping the bus driver will take some change from me. Um, I've just finished, like he, he was well-dressed. He said, I just finished the 15 hour shift um, doing waitering, but I'm on a zero hours contract. So I didn't make, I didn't make enough and that money's going straight into my rent. Um, so can I just get some, just some change to go home because there's a long bus journey home. Um, and they laughed at him and they walked off. Um, and I don't know, that conversation really stuck with me. Really stuck with me. Because we, we like to do something in this country of who's the deserving and undeserving poor. We like yes. to, to, who's really, really poor and who's yeah. like a deserving type of poor. And they can't say that, one. But two, like... He's literally said, I've just finished my job. It's like midnight. I've just finished my job at a restaurant. I don't get paid enough. I'm on zero hours contract. Like in this day and age in this country, mm -hmm. even people earning money can't afford to keep a roof over their head. What kind of country are we heading to? What mm -hmm. type of and what type of people are we to? I don't I'm not saying we, but what type of what type of people are there to to laugh at somebody mm -hmm. for that? That really broke my heart. It really broke my heart, but it also reminded me and reminded me that we have to speak up we have to do something about it so everyone always laughs and jokes and says oh yeah Jermaine you said you wanted to be the first singing black prime minister I love um, that yeah I'm not too sure but that never really came out my mouth if if you want to yeah. check it never really came out my mouth it was more like a gimmick from the BBC but because you know the BBC love a story yeah. but for me what I always what I always said is I'm here to create change. I'm here to improve people's lives. And in order to do that, I want to be in the driving seat. And if that means being prime minister, then so be it. Yeah. Not aim for that. It will be difficult um, because we yeah. see the state and this, this establishment goes after um, mm -hmm. black individuals, especially black women who are close to power. We've seen what they've done to Diane Abbott. We've seen what they do to Meghan Markle, um, debatable. We've seen... Yeah. Um, what they what they do to, to to black politicians black activists yeah um, uh, so the fight continues the fight continues yeah. and i end with this because my answer is really long um that I, I read this report once that said i think it was last year that said the most optimistic people on this planet are black people yeah and when you think about it in the face of white supremacy in the face of systemic oppression and structural racism we still get up each morning and we still continue to fight on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's where our optimism comes from. Our optimism for a better world, not only for us, but also for our children. It's that same optimism that so many civil rights leaders and, and campaigners and, and climate justice activists and protesters and demonstration demonstrators hold on to mm -hmm. is that optimism, the optimism rooted in hope. Yeah. Fantastic. So there's honestly there's a lot there that I, that I want to get into with you. I think um so one of the things that I knew the knew about knew about you, I'm not even sure where or how that I knew that you were quite heavily into like into into politics and you were sort of like campaigning for the Labour Party for uh, mm -hmm. a good number of years before this. And and as you were speaking there, you were talking about 
kind of like you growing up in like sort of like after 2010s after the coalition coalition government uh, came into power and what you were describing then is basically austerity so um mm-hmm. cutting back of public services that you mentioned um cuts back to education cuts back to social housing cuts to um, our nhs and um i so i'm a few years older than you but i definitely distinctly remember kind of like the effect of austerity Mm. um coming in like coming into effect and that's probably what made me like to be like a fair amount of like political interest Mm -hmm. maybe that's why maybe that's why i felt like i resonated with you so much when i watched you on television because you don't often see people who look like me kind of like Mm. talking about these issues and i think that's carried through um from then till now actually so in terms of um of kind of like you campaigning you being a part of member of Labour Party uh then I've kind of I look at Labour Party now and I wonder like what your feelings are towards the Labour Party um or would you still campaign as you did back then and like leading up to the next general election like um would you try and like mobilize people around you to vote as well it's it's an interesting question it's an interesting question because you've asked that at a time where I'm feeling very politically homeless. Yeah. Um, and and I, I want to say this from the outset, I would rather a Labour Party than a Conservative Party any day. Mm-hmm. Whether or not I knock on doors for that Labour Party is questionable. Yeah. Whether or not I actively campaign for that Labour Party is questionable. And the reason why there's there's a slight hesitancy in my answer is because the Labour Party under Keir Starmer has done some questionable things over the last couple of months um, that have rubbed me the wrong way, mm-hmm. uh, that don't really sit or align well um, with my ideals or my, my, my personal vision for the world and for our country. I'll give you an example. Um, telling MPs not to stand with strikers mm-hmm. uh, um, and workers when they strike. And that's the only form of power that they have in order to, to, mm-hmm. to get better working conditions, better pay. Um, and, I, and I feel as though we have a, a, a party at the moment that is rooted in strategic impulses rather than a vision and principles, uh, principles and a vision for the country. Mm-hmm. like what is your vision for the country yeah and and i think that's my question to the labor party that's my question to the shadow cabinet that's my question to keir starmer what is your vision for the country yeah and i i think it's no it's we can't be sitting on the fence we can't be saying well um we would want to see and we would like the trade unions to go back into negotiations with the government no no you need to be clear about this is about people's pay. Yeah. Having enough money in their pockets to pay their bills, to give their children pocket money, to pay their rent, to buy food and put it on the table, to live and survive. Mm-hmm. We are so caught up in this economic system and happy and content in this economic system where we can bail out the banks and then within within uh, five years, we're we're taking money away from disabled people. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many people died following austerity? Like, 
it's it's wild to think that uh some of the most wealthiest of people in this country do not pay pay their fair share in tax mm -hmm. it's crazy to think billions and billions of pounds were given away in ppe covid contracts we don't talk about that enough mm -hmm. and i heard um the health secretary on the news a few weeks ago talk about it will cost 28 billion pounds to give everyone a pay rise to give every public sector a pay rise they only gave away one contract that was 28 billion pounds <laughs> like yeah. if you just didn't give away that contract you could actually raise the pay for all public like you understand what i'm trying to come from yeah yeah crazy how companies were set up within a day and was then said yeah we trade in ppe and they have no experience one of them was the landlord of matt hancock but that's okay because he was an i'm a celebrity get me out of here so everyone forgives him right yeah yeah while at the same time we have communities really struggling we have estates not being invested in. We have schools crumbling apart. You had a football player having to remind the prime minister that there's starving children in your country. The usage of food banks are going through the roof. And you're meant to be one of the wealthiest countries on the planet. Mm -hmm. How unstable is that wealth yeah. that you have? That's the question. So... When I turn to the Labour Party, I, I hope that they are rooted in a vision, a greater vision for, for not just the country, but the people of the country. Yeah. And one that's not divisive, um, or, or one that's not who can outright Rishi Sunak, but, mm -hmm. but just put forward a better alternative. Because my fear is that in the next general election, I'll end on this point, my fear is that the next general election, people will be saying, I can't tell the parties apart, so I'm not going to vote. Yeah. So, um, full disclosure, I think I told you before we started recording, but I am a member of the Labour Party. I'm a, sort of like a newly returning member of the Labour Party. Um, I um, became a member quite a few years, years ago. I ended my membership in 2020, in the summer of 2020, because mm -hmm. um, I was unhappy with the leadership, essentially, with the um, response to um, the issues that I'd, I'd risen. Um, post George Floyd in the height of the Black Lives Matter movement, I didn't think um, I didn't think the actions or words were appropriate. Mm -hmm. um, in the years since then, I just I well, I've seen the Conservative Party and the way they've acted and where they uh, they moved with the country, and I personally feel that like we can't really afford to have another five years of them. Mm -hmm. So that's why that's one of the reasons why I've rejoined the Labour Party as a member now. Mm -hmm. And I try to go to like um there's like some local branch meetings, <laughs> just so I can see where like I can fit in and maybe I can help campaign every now and again. Can I can I ask the reason why you left was it because of Keir Starmer's comments about Black Lives Matter? So it wasn't just his it wasn't just his his comments. I think mm -hmm. um I actually say that those comments were to me quite useful. Because they like 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 if you had got to have a headline as to why as to why you leave that why you why I left the Labour Party that would be the headline. But mm -hmm. then all of the things apart from that, there was that 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 matter is a is a moment not a movement thing. But then there was also like um that stuff you were saying about the Colston statue, which mm -hmm. I agree that's like a line you need to tell because it's like what criminal what like endangered criminal property or. Mm -hmm. um, yeah like defacing property but at the same time like there could have been a bit more nuance in the answer 
Mm-hmm. Um, there was obviously the the issue with the fraud report back then, but I've now kind of I think they're still going on, but a few mm. more to be resolved. Um, there's obviously you mentioned about the striking workers is is mm-hmm. another one, and there was like a policing bill that was that was uh, come out off the back of the protest, mm-hmm. and um, I, I don't think like you did vote against it, but there's abstained from voting on. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got. I was furious, furious. And that's what I, t- I spoke about strategic impulses. Black people have been dying at the hands of police, at the police for generations, right? Yeah. Now, this is not to take anything away from Sarah Everhart. Black communities have been speaking about the heavy handedness, the inappropriateness, the harassment, the, the abuse of power that the police have for decades. Yeah. For decades. We've been calling for Cressida Dick. I personally wrote to Sadiq Khan to call for Cressida Dick to go. Mm-hmm. Because the police force is institutionally racist. Yeah. Black voices have been ignored. Mm-hmm. The policing bill um was good was gonna give the, the, the police more powers. Mm-hmm. Clamp down on protesting, which is a, a core part of a democracy. We're always ready to turn to Russia and China and and, and comment on what they're doing in their regimes. How about looking at home home? Yeah. What I found interesting, the tune changed once Sarah Everhard was killed by at the hands of a police officer. Mm -hmm. The tune changed. Mm -hmm. Then you had Keir Starmer and the Labour Party now abstain on that same bill. By the way, nothing changed in that bill. Mm -hmm. The context in which the bill was now being presented might have changed. Because of Sarah Everhard's death, but nothing in the bill had changed. The bill it was still a rotten bill, mm-hmm. but now you're, you're voting against it. Mm-hmm. These are those same strategic impulses that I don't like. Mm-hmm. If you are rooted in a vision for a country, you would you would vote against that bill from the get go, from when it first yeah. entered the house, not yeah. because Sarah Everhard was killed. Back onto Sarah Everhard. Now you now we're seeing so much scrutiny come. Um, now we're seeing the police force come under so much scrutiny. They've been placed into special measures. I don't even know if they've been taken out of special measures. We're seeing all of these, quote, bad apples, unquote, being kicked out and being found in the police force. I don't know how many bad apples you need to find until you realise that the whole rotten tree needs mm-hmm. to go. Mm-hmm. But black communities have been preaching about this for time. Yeah. Why is it that, and, and I don't want to, I really, try, I'm trying to be as sensitive as I as I can be in saying this, and I don't know if there's any nice way of putting it, so apologies if I offend anybody listening, but it took for the death of a white woman for there to be change. Mm-hmm. And black people have been killed and abused and harassed by the police for decades, and we've been complaining about it, and nobody cared. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm glad to see that there's change, but is it coming from the right place? Are we really looking at this holistically and in a 360 view? Mm-hmm. Are we placing the body of a white woman above bodies of black people? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we should even turn this conversation into who's oppression, who's oppressed more than uh, another group of uh, like we should not turn the conversation into the oppression Olympics, basically. Mm-hmm. But right. an interstitial one, looking at marginalized communities. If we work from the margin and listen to those marginalized voices and their experiences of the police, we are able to improve everybody's experience. With the, mm-hmm. that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, 
So, Jermaine, then, what would you say to someone who um, is feeling a bit disengaged at the moment? Who, like, I, for, for me, the, take me an example. Like, now I'm kind of, like, trying to get myself involved or trying to get myself, I don't know, with, with a party, with me, it's a Labour Party, because I've been a lifelong Labour voter before now. But, like, what would you, what would you say to especially Black people, Black voters, Black people who are politically minded who are feeling a bit disengaged by the whole thing now? It's difficult because there's such a complex but toxic conversation happening right now yep. about the Conservative Party. Mm-hmm. No, let me rephrase it, about the political landscape. Mm-hmm. Because what we've seen in the last year, we've seen a diverse cabinet, mm-hmm. James Cleverly and Kwasi Kwarteng become Chancellor, even though he was only... <laughs> I should laugh. Even Uncle was only Chancellor for 18 days or so. Like, we've seen Black people sit close to power and decision-making power, t- tangible power in this country. Mm-hmm. So from a from a mere optics level, those who aren't necessarily as engaged in politics as uh, members of the Labour Party, maybe you and I, maybe they will look at them like, "Rah, like my man's handling the money mm-hmm. yeah. for the country." So I'm gonna vote for them because they they support my man, so they they can support me. Yeah. But it's far more complex than that. And why it then becomes toxic and difficult is because the Labour Party ain't offering nothing different. Yeah. They ain't listening to Black voices. That's why I set up the 1987 caucus to listen to to young Black men and their concerns and the issues that they face. We haven't elected a Black man to the Labour Party as an MP since, what, 2015? Yeah. 2011, 2015. And the last one, I think, was Clive Lewis. Yeah. Like... Are we being for real in this day and age? Why is it so hard for the Labour Party just to wake up and act appropriately? So my my message to those who are disengaged with party politics is engage with some of the issues then. Yeah. Because it's okay to be disengaged with Westminster. I'm disengaged with Westminster sometimes. All that shit. You know when they hear a bunch of hogs shouting at each other yeah. every Wednesday, every Wednesday afternoon at 12 o'clock? You know we want to hear that? <laughs> we want to hear you talking about the issues on the ground, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you're, it's okay to be disengaged with party politics. It's okay to be disengaged with Westminster politics. It's okay to be disengaged with, with number 10. But what I do want you to be engaged with, 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 with oh, what I do want you to be engaged with is the issues on the ground. Yeah. That could be as small as what's happening in your local community, in your local park. Mm-hmm. It could be as local as what's happening in your area mm-hmm. that you really care about, that you want to see change. How do I contact my local council? How do I set up a meeting with my council to talk about these issues? How can yeah. I bring about that way? It's, it doesn't have to be on a national scale. Mm-hmm. Sometimes pe- people often forget councils have a lot of power to affect the everyday Joe and Joanne. They have a lot of power to affect the everyday Joe and Joanne. Like, change the LTNs during pandemic. That affected everybody. Yeah, Nobody can drive down them side streets no more. That can cut your journey by 15 minutes. You can't drive down them side streets no more. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah, I, I would say my message to them would be focus on the local issues and focus on the issues that you really care about and not so much on party politics. When it does come to a general election, though, I don't have an answer for that. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. I kind of want to lighten things off a bit. I think we've yes. gotten like very heavy with um with the politics talk, which is of course fine and fair. Um, I'm gonna ask a, a very trivial question. Um, I assume you listen. I assume you listen to music. Are there any like twenty twenty two albums that you that you've liked? I feel I'm falling in love. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> I something up. I love. I love Renaissance. I am here, yeah. here for it. I I bathe with it. Um, I drink it. Uh, um, I, it's everything. I I love the Renaissance album. Um, I I am an old soul though, so I listen to a lot of throwback albums. Um, so Luther Vandross, Luther Franklin, mm-hmm. Whitney Houston, definitely Whitney Houston. Um, but yeah, um, I'm I'm down for I'm down for the emerging artists as well. I've been listening to Flow. Um, mm-hmm. I I love Re Runway, and I think mm. she's incredible and doesn't get the, the the credit she deserves. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 here for for the emerging the emerging artists in the UK, the rappers. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them are Guyanese. Um, Central mm-hmm. C is Guyanese. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 liking it. I'm liking it. Oh, I see. So um my Spotify map, my top artist was Beyonce, unsurprisingly. So <laughs> yeah, um there was a point where like every day for a month the, the album would be on. Every mm. day. I was like killing killing myself with Renaissance. It's like an addiction. Yeah, I I um, love it. I love it. And I had to question, is it because it's Beyonce or actually do I really like the album? I actually love the album. I think it is. I think the production is incredible on it. And every song, like so, I think the album is stronger in the first, the first half of it, or first three quarters, than the end. But every mm-hmm. song essentially is a good one, and it's yeah. one one you can dance to. And I and all of the like influences that there are in it, it's music I would listen to anyway. Yeah, um, I, love, my... I love Little Sims's album. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Love Little Sims's album. Um, amazing producer, Inflow. Um, produced that album, yeah, I love, I love mm-hmm. that. I saw a little thing that Glastonbury actually. I go to Glastonbury Festival every year, and and she headlined the. So there's the Pyramid Stage, which is the main one, then they mm-hmm. have like the other stage, which is like the second one, and they have like the West Holt stage. Where yeah. to be fair, they do put a lot of the black artists. Um, sometimes when I'm with my friends, I joke and call it the ethnic stage. But, <laughs> <laughs> but she headlined headlined um that one, and she was she was amazing then. Mm. Well deserved the Murphy Pies. I've been a uh, little Sims fan for a while now. Not I, I can't call myself a day one. I would say I'm a day one. I I remember Little Sims and I performing together back when we were what maybe fourteen, yeah, thirteen. Um, I was at her Mercury Prize Awards party to congratulate her. Yeah, um, show you the picture, but I look horrible. Um, in the picture, you know, when the ones where you want to take a picture with somebody, but you actually look horrible, so you just don't post up. No matter who, yeah, you're just not gonna post it up at all. So you're just gonna keep it in your phone. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, Little Sims, Little Sims is 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 definitely carving out a lane for herself. Um, and I'm so proud of her and everything that she's achieving. Um, and it's inspirational. It really is inspirational. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I tried, so I'm uh, quite a big Scissor fan. Mm-hmm. And she released her new album last week, which I gave a go. And I do like, I think when, you know, the whole like second album, sophomore album thing, mm-hmm. you always want to compare it to the first one. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it, I don't think it's hit, it's hit the ground as well as Control did. But I'm still mm-hmm. such a big fan of hers. Yeah. I, he's another one that I'd like. I, she doesn't really come to the UK very often, actually, Scissor. Mm-hmm. But um, the next time she is, I will go for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. 100%. And, and I, you know what? I love like a, a dance hall, soca, yeah. so like Spice, um, Marshall, Man- Marshall Montana. Wait, I don't know if I forgot. It's like Marshall Montana. Um, yeah, all, all, all of them. Kez, all, all of them. All I love, I love soca. Love soca. Yeah. Guyanese, I have to love soca. Yeah. I I think I can see a Guyanese flag in the background. To be fair, <laughs> oh, that whole thing is just yeah. amazingly in the frame of my Zoom camera. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I love, I love, I love my country. Um, I love the country's music. I love the country's food. Um, yeah, and and I yeah. really back to the Caribbean, especially with it being so cold. Absolutely. So I am half Jamaican. Mm-hmm. And half Kittitian, so half um like well in everyone on Jamaica and half small island. Mm-hmm. But um so but I just had to I had to think there. I'm like Kittitian, Kits in it, and then I realized Kits, and then I realized I've never heard I've never heard of it. Never heard of some. All I'm, I I would just think that someone said that oh, yeah, I'm from Saint Kitts. That's only yeah. Everyone I've met from Saint Kitts is oh yeah I'm from Saint Kitts. I've never yeah. heard someone. Say, Saint Kit- Kitchen, Kit- yeah, Kitchen, Kitchen. I've never heard Kitchen. Never. Yeah. Heard. <laughs> so to tell a lie, Jermaine. So right, I, I mean, I, I am half Kitchen, but I never heard the term until someone who wasn't even from Saint Kit said it to me, and it's like, oh yeah, that's that, that's how you say it. That's what it is. Is that and I've been even saying it ever since? Are you sure it's real? It's real. It's real. I'm telling you. Not, not obviously not Saint Kitts, but Kitchen. Kitchen. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. I'm gonna call up. I'm gonna call up one of my aunties and ask. If her. if you're from Jamaica, you're Jamaican. Yeah. If you're from Grenada, you're Grenadian. Uh-huh. If you're from Saint Kitts, you're Kitchen. Interesting. <laughs> okay, let me throw this. What, what about from Barbados? What are you? Bayesian. Not Barbadian. Bayesian, yeah. But what about Barbadian? I I don't know. I don't know about that. I've heard too. I've heard, I've heard people from Barbados call themselves Bayesians yeah. or Barbadians. Yeah. So there's a lot of terminologies um, in the Caribbean. One thing that I know about Caribbean people, we will just make it up and we'll just keep it going on until. Okay. <laughs> That's how some of our food was have been created. That's how some of our we just make it up, mash it, mix, mash. And put it together and hope for the best. Let the ancestors speak through us. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. But anyway, so um, when I grew up, um, for us it was more like more like roots and culture. Mm. Um, my dad liked dub, 
as well. So like, of like the old one, you know, like the Gregory Isaacs of the world. Um, Luciano was my one of my favorite artists because he's like mm-hmm. really big, six foot two black man. But whenever he performed, he'd be doing like backflips and shit, he'd be doing front flips, yeah. doing the splits. Now translating that to now, I guess you'd say like Poetry J is one of these two, or uh, Chronics is probably the most famous one, and Coffee, who I saw as well. Oh, amazing! Oh, mm-hmm. Love them. And Love I'm them. trying to get into like more reggaeton, but I don't speak Spanish. Mm. Yeah, reggae, reggaeton is nice to move to when you're drunk. If you want to hear, absolutely, want to hear reggaeton. When is it? I think it's every Monday or Sunday in Vauxhall. Yeah, some Monday or Sunday night in Vauxhall. They like the whole like Latin community, and all, they all go out to Vauxhall those days. Um, yeah, nights and they massive, massive parties. Yeah, and, and beautiful music. Mm-hmm. But I to enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm wondering, is there anything else for me to speak about? That's pretty much it. Well, I, actually, I, I want to learn a bit more about Black Boy Joy and the thinking behind it because yeah, I've actually hosted a, a few gatherings um, called Black Boy Joy. Yeah. It's just a group of um, black boys um, around my age, um, in their late 20s, early 30s, um, and from all different walks of life, um, predominantly queer black men. Um, mm-hmm. and we, we have like a games night together, or we'll mm-hmm. go out to a bar and book a table and we'll go for drinks. And we just talk and we celebrate each other. And yeah. we... Um, yeah, we, 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 we celebrate one another and, and just recognise the amazingness that we all have as individuals, as black as black boys. Yeah. Um, so that's why we call it Black Boy Joy. Yeah. And, um, so, yeah, I, I would love to understand, and I'm, I'm pretty sure your listeners have have heard it before, but I would love to to hear once again uh, sure. the idea behind Black Boy Joy. So it, um, it actually just started out. Um, so I used to do it with a friend of mine. We're Are both you guys black. Pardon? You guys feel fall out? It's now just you. We haven't fought, well, we haven't fallen out. We have we're still friends. We're still very close friends. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love a piece of drama. Yeah, no, um, we haven't fallen out. We're still friends. But it's just that um I I kind of wanted to take the podcast a bit more seriously. So I want to do it weekly. I wanted to have more guests. I wanted to try and make it something. Hmm. And my friend kind of just wanted to like focus on like his own thing and like his um, work and things like that. Yeah. Like there's nothing to say that he couldn't be a guest, he couldn't be um, a co-host again. Mm. But I just wanted to to do it moving forward. Mm. But anyway, we Black Boy Joy podcast. So um, after I came out of the closet, mm-hmm. basically, um, we both just wanted to. Well, it was his idea to do a podcast, and we were thinking about like what should we do the podcast on. And I was like, we're both black men, we're both we're both gay men, we're both queer. Why don't we like why don't we tend to center it on that? Mm. So we started it in I think it was the end of 2019, going into 2020. Oh wow. Okay. We met uh, every two weeks. We talked about all the things you could like you could imagine uh, black like black gay men talking about. We talked about current affairs, talked about uh what sometimes we went into empty gossip, but not that um, not that much. 
but also we talked about things that are like relevant or I felt relevant to our community. So um, we've had HIV activists on, for instance. We've had people. Who, we've had uh, like Paul Mendes, who is like a great author of Rainbow Milk, which is about the experiences of like um, of like a black that gay that gay man who becomes mm. it's a fictional story, but he becomes a sex worker in London. Mm. And I've kind of just gone from there, really. Um, we like we came up with programming that we thought would be of interest to us. Basically, we went on a hiatus. And that lasted so much longer than I than I intended it to be. Like twenty twenty two was uh quite a year for me. Mm. So um now I've brought it back again. Um it's just me. So like I'm trying to get guests, trying to like get consistent programming again, just to mm. kind of spread just kind of spread black boy joy, I guess. Mm. And obviously like in the branding, it's like unapologetically queer. Mm-hmm. I guess and that's yeah that's the way it is and that's the way it stayed but um with the term black boy joy because I know so many people use it like it's not like I I've called it black boy joy podcast but the term black boy joy doesn't belong to me doesn't belong mm-hmm. to podcast or anything like that so people take from it what they want mm-hmm. but yeah I just really want it my my hope and vision for the podcast is that it's just a safe space for us just to talk about just to talk about things just to have a laugh just for us to kiki and for us to learn and for us to get some I don't know get some black boy joy from it <laughs> no I, I love that and and I'm so proud of you for picking up the mantle um, and carrying it on you know when, when I think about and I hear stories of how young people are struggling with their sexuality um how grown people sometimes um mm. are looking for a space or for presenters or for conversations to really capsulate what they might be going through yeah that space for them yeah and i and i say that um because um only a, recently this week a, a friend committed suicide um right. um because of that yeah yeah so it's important it's important work that you're doing it's really important yeah. so well done I just wanted to say that I'm so sorry to hear that. And um, one of the things about especially being black and being LGBT, like whichever, like whichever part of the spectrum you fall into, it can be just such an isolating experience, like really, really isolating, even in this, like this big 2022. Mm. I, I personally, like I only really started getting to come to terms with my sexuality when I moved away from my hometown of Birmingham and mm. move to London and mm. when you move to another city it's almost like you can just be you like be a new person mm. and even then it still took me another three years to actually come out and accept myself as being a gay man mm-hmm. so like going up going from my experiences and I don't know like trying to address anybody else I I understand I understand where it is I understand how hard it can be mm. and if said like anything that we can do like just to help each other then mm. we should do that, shouldn't we? Yeah, a hundred percent. I'd I'd love, I'd love if you could potentially explore almost steps to, to to navigate that that journey of having to come out. I know, um, through some people they've said that look that 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 process of coming out is very it's a very personal one, and there yeah. is no blueprint to yeah. coming out to your family. Yeah. I, I once heard somebody use the term actually letting people in rather than coming out. 
Um, it's this idea that um, actually I have the power and I'm actually letting you into who I really am rather than me coming out to this world and me pretend like, I, so I like that whole dynamic and the power shift in that. So you holding yeah. the power and not them holding the power. Yeah. So, so yeah, but perhaps, to, yeah, uh, that's just what's, uh, what's been on my mind this week. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you want to, so for me, so first of all, um, I should be very clear and say that there are members of my family who I haven't like officially come out to. And ones that like, actually at this point, I don't really feel like I need to. Mm. Um, so what I always think, what I personally say is that the most important part of the process is you coming out to yourself. That mm. means that you beat you, like just accepting yourself for who you are, being mm. happy and proud about that. That's more important than you having to make a declaration to anyone in your life. Mm. With me, um, I was in a position where my mental health was in just such a state of disarray. <laughs> I can laugh about it now, but at the time, yeah, uh, my oh, my mental health was in such a state of disarray that like I kind of needed to talk to someone, and like I need to talk to someone who knew me the best. Mm. And the only person that is was my mom, of course. Mm. So that is really what motivated me to um to to tell her. And once I told her, I think one thing about the whole coming out process is that um, people do take time. Mm. So with my mum in particular, like it took her, like her reaction wasn't bad, wasn't a bad one. But after I came out of the closet, it became like something that kind of got stuck from the dog. We never mm. really discussed it again. It took us a good three years to have another real proper discussion about it since then. And in that time, I think she has like really come around. We can have open discussions now. I can talk to her about boys within reason. <laughs> within reason. Right. Yeah. I, I get you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But um, but it definitely has been a change. But I think I don't know for anybody else. It's like I always say to people that like it's not a race. If you like, if you don't, if you don't feel like you want to come out, if you don't feel like something for you, then just don't. Then just don't right now. Because it's it's one. It's a thing that once once it does come out, it can never go back in again, and yeah. that means something different to different people. Yeah. And I think. Sorry. sorry. No, I was just I was just thinking about what you what you've covered already is so powerful. Um. The sense that take your time. Yeah. Absolutely. Understand who you are. Yeah. And accept you and then finding that one person to speak to mm -hmm. and for you it was your mum and for someone else and for some of the listeners it could actually be a friend it could be a neighbor it could be or it could be someone who actually doesn't know you and just want wants to talk um, yeah. but we know about um the suicide rate amongst black men it's so high so yeah. high and so when we do have platforms like this, I, ju I just hope that we can use it to, to try and um, yeah, definitely. Share, share insight and then share, share, yeah, share insight yeah. for those who, who may need it. So again, I guess as I practical, so practically, so my mom wasn't the very first person I told. Mm. I told other people before then, but like when you think of the whole coming out thing, I definitely think of her. But like, I guess as like some practical advice, is that um, when I did tell people, I started with some friends. Mm. And so I think um, one, one way, a really good way to think about it is that like it is undoubtedly going to be a big conversation. So if you're 
you want to start with people who you think you like you can be safe around who are your friends who won't judge you mm. and then if you have a small circle of people who support you then what you want to do is try and make that circle wider so then uh what if they've told some people told some friends then maybe expand that to some other friends and maybe tell like one family member and then like expand that out again so if things don't always go the way you want to, at least you have some support there that you can turn to afterwards. Yeah. So that's some that's some very practical advice. But yeah. Anyway, before we wrap, is there anything else you want to say, Jermaine? Um, no, just follow me on my socials at Jermaine Jackman on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, uh, Jermaine Jackman Music on Facebook. Um, keep up to date with my music, my politics, and my troublemaking. Um, if you didn't realize, I call myself a troublemaker on my LinkedIn page because I'm always causing trouble. Um, yeah. uh, and I love it. I love it. We all should be troublemakers. Um, yeah. But easily, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I've really, really valued this conversation, especially the gems that you have dropped yourself. Um, yeah. And I wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Jermaine. Thank you. Yes, that is another episode of Blackboard Joy Podcast done. Thank you so much to Jermaine for taking time out of his very, sounds like, exhausting schedule to talk to me. As usual, links to all of his work, that's with the Baobab Foundation, with the 1987 caucus, his writing, his music will be in the link in the description where you can check it all out. Remember to spread the word of the podcast to all far and wide, your friends, your family members, your fox buddies, anyone. And we're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. If you listen on Spotify, then I'd appreciate it if you gave me a glowing five-star rating and a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you listen there. You can follow me on Instagram at BlackBoyJoyPodcast and on Twitter at BLKBoyJoyPod. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you for the next one.